0: Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, where we speak with some of the biggest security influencers in the industry about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what is top of mind for the C suite and other key security decision makers. I'm Ann Johnson, and today I'm joined by Dominique West. Dominique is a senior cloud security consultant for a multinational tech company and is the creator of the Security in Color Cybersecurity podcast. Achieving her CISSP and master's degree in cybersecurity, Dominique is deeply passionate about cloud security and cyber awareness, with eight years of experience in IT spanning risk, vulnerability, incident response, cloud transformation, and security across commercial industries. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, Dominique. Thank you so much for having me. So today I want to start with how we make cybersecurity accessible to everyone. But before we dive into that, can we just take a step back? I'm fascinated by the way by your career journey and by your podcast and by your educational pursuits and really this, you know, you're diving all into security. So can you talk about what actually kickstarted your career and how you developed your interest in cyber?
1: Sure. Um, I was always interested in technology. I grew up in the boom of when it was becoming more mainstream uh, with my generation. And ever since I was young, my dad, who's been an engineer for his entire career, would teach me as I was little how to take apart old computers, how to put them together. Um, So when I entered college, I knew there was two paths for me, either to be a lawyer or to go down some route in technology. I tried the lawyer route. Didn't work out so much, so I uh, went to technology. wasn't quite sure what career path I wanted to go down until um, uh, my mom and I were the victims of credit card fraud. And that incident had me kind of go down a rabbit hole of trying to do my own investigation, uh, trying to figure out, you know, how did someone get our credit card? Is this, you know, leading to a, a, a wider issue? I was kind of going down the incident response route without even knowing what incident response was or trying to really understand what credit card fraud and hacking was. But that led me to the world of cybersecurity and the Vastness and the I, I became so intrigued um, and ever since I, I've been down that path and have fully taken on in my career about cyber security starting off as an analyst at a a museum, a Tibet museum here in New York city, um, which I loved. And that was what helped kickstart and give me the foundation. I needed to really learn about, I think the foundations of technology in the first place. And then when I started to learn about the different aspects of red team and blue team, and now I guess, what we call now purple team, and in between, that just led me down a, a wide variety of. I was fortunate to have so many different jobs and so many different people who helped me along the way. Um, that's kind of led to where I am today. So I've I've always been fascinated about security. I've always been fascinated about helping other people, or I should say, evangelizing about cybersecurity, because I think you know security awareness should be for everyone and not just the professionals. So that kind of led me to, like you said, kind of go so, uh, headfirst into the world and, and really be immersed in it
0: you know i'm fascinated by the fact that your father um had you you know building computers and taking them apart at a young age <laughs> and it, yeah it, it goes back to how we raise our, raise our daughters right to believe they can be anything they want to be and to and, and and our sons too right to not stereotype right. them into or push them into different careers but really just surface i you know as i have a 20 year old by the way and as and she's the, the daughter of two tech professionals just you know and has no interest in being <laughs> in the tech field and we didn't we just kept exposing right. her to different things and saying what do you want to do and what's going to make you happy right um so i, I i'm just in awe of your father um that's that's fantastic <laughs> so that brings me though to you know breaking into cybersecurity. right you've spoken extensively on the topic we have a huge amount of job openings right now and a lot of people that actually want to come into the field but they're intimidated or they're gate kept or there's these aggressive hiring requirements. How do you recommend that folks think about, you know, taking their first step, whether they're newly out of college, whether they're transitioning from a different field, whether they're in tech, but they just want to be in cybersecurity? What are recommendations you have for people?
1: Uh, I usually work, um, or I should say, the recommendations I usually give, and I first ask, hey, are you new to not only just the industry, are you new to working in general? So those maybe out of college, those who are just getting their foot in the door, and I always recommend there is a lot. And I mean, so many free resources out there that I always recommend for them to create some sort of portfolio in lieu of the experience, right? Because you're kind of just sitting around kind of waiting to get a job or waiting for someone to accept you. So in the meantime, I say, hey, build a portfolio, right? There's a lot of platforms out there, either cloud or um, any new technology that's out there. Many vendors offer free trials or some kind of free training that people can take so that way they can get that quote unquote hands-on experience so that way they can maybe use that during an interview process they can put that on their resume Um, there's plenty of uh, free courses and training that will allow them to build those skills necessary to get the foot in the door or at least again be able to hold a conversation because that's a lot of times when hiring managers they're looking to make sure that you're just you understand the terminology, you understand uh, about some of the scenarios that you might encounter in that job. So if you're brand new, always recommend take advantage of the free resources out there to help build a portfolio until you can get your foot in the door and actually get that real-world experience. But for those who are already uh, maybe in some kind of IT capacity. You might not necessarily be in security or have the security title, but if you're in some kind of technology role or you're on any other industry, I always say tech skills can be learned, right? So you already have years of experience in some industry or in some role. Leverage that. I think the issue sometimes is uh, figuring out how to translate some Uh, I don't want to call them non-technical skills, but skills uh, that you might learn in different industries to the cybersecurity industry. Because sometimes that can be a little bit complex to figure out, well, how do I map, you know, the fact that I've been doing backups forever or that I've, you know, built some systems in here, how do I relate that to security systems or how do I relate that to securing that? So I would say a lot of things in security are teachable. Um, It's really about just learning how to leverage The resources out there and the experience you have in order to, you know, kind of get your foot in the door.
0: I think that's right. And I think your ability to translate the work you've done into having at least a baseline knowledge of cyber and being able to translate your work. And I'll, I'll give you just my own personal example, right? I did um, network and storage. So I was an infrastructure person before I ever became a cyber person. And I always believed that having that background may be a better cyber person because I understood how systems worked, right? And I could yeah. translate those things. And when, you know, when the first company, which was RSA Security that I went to, took a chance on me, those Were the conversations we had, understanding actually how the systems that are in environments work and our ability to, you know, to apply security controls to them. Um, I also think mentorship is incredibly important. Can you just talk a little bit about mentorship?
1: Absolutely. So I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, Majority of the jobs I've been to, I've always been able to find someone who. Was willing to teach me maybe someone who's been in the industry uh for a longer period of time that i've been in and they've guided me along the way when it was i was confused when i first started off and i was confused as to whether or not security was actually for me because i also experienced those barriers to entries i had someone who worked with me um, to make sure that i i gained the skills and i kept studying um and then eventually of course broke my way into the field and then of course I've had people who took a chance on me despite the fact that maybe I didn't have that experience and maybe I didn't have Every single checkbox that was necessary. But you know I've had people along the way who have guided me, who've helped me when I, again, just didn't have any direction. So I think mentorship is super important because it can become very confusing. Like everyone's trying to figure out life. And you know just having someone that you can at least talk to or work out, i'm I'm the sort of person who kind of talks out loud my thoughts, and that kind of helps me come to a conclusion. So just sometimes having that person who can, you know, be uh, a guidance or be a voice of reason, I think is especially necessary, and I'm an advocate for women 100%, especially because we hear about the widening gap in our field, so I'm always an advocate for mentorship and sponsorship to give not only be there to talk to someone in order to give them guidance, but also Perhaps giving them an opportunity, you know, speaking about that person when they're not in the room and advocating for someone who, you know, is really trying to uh, improve themselves or trying to get into the field and and you know their, their worth behind it and the work that they put in. So definitely an advocate for both mentorship and sponsorship and try to give back as much as I can to the young women in my life.
0: That's amazing. I think that, you know, we talk about, you know, keeping the ladder, right, putting the ladder back down. And I don't think still enough people do it and um, continue to, you know, have those conversations and talk about just that need to lift others up behind us. Um, so one of the things about security that I've been talking about and I've written about a bit is the language of InfoSec, right? How our industry actually speaks. And, you know, I've blogged about it. We have our own technical terms, but we also have some jargon, things like sandboxes and detonation chambers that aren't always inviting to people. You know, they, right. they get intimidated or they look at it and say, wow, that's really militaristic. I don't think that's a career I want. How do you think about that?
1: Uh, It's something that I had noticed when I was getting into the field, the different kinds of names that are either, like you said, militaristic or maybe sometimes might be offensive or can be seen as offensive. um, That can really be uh, just a deterrent for people wanting to get into the field. And for me, I, I always think our terminology should evolve just as the industry and our technologies are, so I know there has been over the past couple of years, kind of this notion or this action initiative, I should say, to change some of the wording. Um, And I do think that that has been a blocker for many where You know, again, the security industry, I think, for the longest, have had this narrative. It's had this certain look, right? It's always been looked at as a boys' club, but like you said, pretty militaristic. So, if we want to change the culture and if we want to change who we attract, and we're trying to open ourselves up to the wider audience that we're trying to attract in the field, you know, a lot of that takes looking at what the security industry have been doing for the longest and say, okay, you know, we can no longer use these terms, right? Blacklist and, you know, master and slave and all these other terminologies that, again, could be offensive to the people that we're trying to attract. So if we're trying to be inclusive and we're trying to make sure that we're making everyone as comfortable as possible, it takes, you know, a reflection in of the people, of the professionals for us who are already in the field, making sure that we're intentionally Changing these narratives and making sure that we're showing that to everyone, uh, again, who we're trying to attract into the field. So I, I definitely agree with you in terms of it's been the status quo for forever, but it doesn't need to continue to be that way.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. So let's um, switch a little bit and talk about, because we're we're recording this during a period of time where there's a lot of high-profile ransomware events going on, and the U.S. government recently issued an executive order calling for significant contributions during modernizing our cyber defenses for federal networks and improving, you know, information sharing between the U.S. government and the private sector. Do you think that the executive order and, you know, all of everything that we're hearing today, right? Did it go far enough? What do we actually need to do to prepare companies, but also the workforce for, you know, today's threats and, you know, the threats that are going to be there tomorrow?
1: I definitely think it is a step in the right direction. Uh, Executive orders can do but so much. I think it takes a lot more legislation, a lot more policies at the Uh, federal, state, and local level, uh, uh, it takes everyone, essentially. It takes private, government, citizens to essentially collectively work together in order to build this kind of fortified nation that we're trying to do um, against all of these threats that we're seeing. That being said, I do think some parts of the order was very encouraging to see, especially because the language or I should say the directives is something that we haven't been seeing before necessarily in the the federal, or at least as out loud, unless you're in the industry and you know about it, um, you don't really get to see as much. So, I, I think if it's, I'm not mistaken, it's section two where um, it ensured that any private entity that's going to supply the federal government with some IT or operational services, that they share threat information with the FBI and CISA or the CISA, which I thought was an amazing directive because that's the one thing or a key that is missing is that sharing threat intel is vital for keeping up with the latest kinds of threats being experienced, especially across the various uh, sectors, if no one's sharing information, it's really hard for you to figure out, well, what corrective action? How should I be proactive in my security plan? Um, And this is across the board, whether or not you're in private and federal. So kind of having that directive where you're sharing knowledge and that the key parts of our nation is starting to come together is important because if someone's holding out on information, you know, that can lead to an attack or that can lead to, Uh, the longer response to an attack or setting up your security systems properly. But I also saw that they were involving, or I should say prioritizing Zero Trust as a framework for building out their processes and technology. So Zero Trust is something that I think has been starting to be more adopted um, by both the private and the federal sector, so I think that's really great to see that that's now federal government saying, listen, this is the pathway that we're taking and can kind of set a standard for other companies to follow suit.
0: So when you think about zero trust, what are the, you know, couple of things that you would tell organizations to do first?
1: Some of the things that they should do first when it comes to zero trust is to, one, evaluate how trust is, is within their systems right now, right? So what systems are uh, systems and vendors and anything that is coming into your environment, right? I think a lot of the times, especially as companies are starting to do cloud modernization, they're starting to adopt more cloud services, they're um, widening, essentially, their threat landscape, really understanding where everything is flowing, who's coming in, what systems, what applications are in my environment, and from there, making sure that you're putting the processes and tools in place. In order to maybe segment properly, um, making sure, again, a a big part of zero trust, right, is that you're always verifying or you're not trusting what's coming in. So putting those systems in place and really getting uh, a really good understanding of your landscape, I think, is vital to starting rather than just saying, okay, zero trust is going to be everywhere. This is what we're doing. Let's figure, you know, let's just implement. And zero trust is a framework, right? It's not just throwing some tools at it. It's not just throwing some processes at it, it's really taking a holistic look at how you're building your entire security environment and your system and your awareness. So, again, I'm I'm always real big about foundation uh, and starting from the bottom of just like, hey, what's happening in my environment? Do I have an inventory of my all of my applications, my users, my vendors, you know, XYZ?
0: That's great, and I, I think that one of the problems with zero trust is it's this it's this huge concept that people are a little overwhelmed by, and I keep trying to break it down. Right, do these couple of things first. Here's how you start. You know, use MFA, use least privilege. Right, assume you've been breached. Right. It's it's just trying to get it tangible for folks so they can actually start implementing it because um, we throw a lot at them right? And we, we right. tend to, to your point, we tend to throw it out in cybersecurity terms that people don't always understand. Um, right. So we always try to leave the audience with practical guidance. Um, and I know I asked you this question earlier, but I'm going to just ask it a little bit differently. If you were talking to someone who comes to you and said, I want to be a, in the cybersecurity career, what are the first two or three things you would tell them to do today?
1: The first thing I would tell them is to network. I think networking has been an amazing resource or eye-opener for me, and I especially know for those who might be a little shy or maybe not too comfortable with um, necessarily putting themselves out there, but I always encourage you. It might be scary, you might be nervous, but I always tell people, take a chance, right, Because. You don't know what can happen, and you don't know speaking to someone can change your entire trajectory, and it can change your entire life. Uh, The cybersecurity industry, ever since I started networking more, especially on social media, there is a great social media community um, on on any kind of the platforms, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Twitter, um, there's... A great community out there who's willing to help anyone who's trying to get their foot in the door or trying to figure something out. So leverage, you know, the amazing community to figure out. Right? You might have some trouble with figuring out about forensics, or maybe you're interested in cloud. Whatever the topic is, I promise you, there is someone out there who'll be willing to help. So networking is one of the first things that. I always encourage people to do. Again, I talked about previously um, about kind of coming up with a portfolio or kind of figuring out how to leverage the free resources out there. But third, I will also say join a community. There are hundreds of meetups or nonprofit organizations that are targeting and willing to help those, especially in more marginalized communities. I'm leading one, um, it's called the Women's Society of Cyber jutsu and we help women who are trying to get into the field and then help them not only from breaking into the field, but all the way up to, hey, if you have ambitions to be a CEO, let's figure out how to get you there. Let's get the skills and the, the workshops and the talks and you know resources together, really build a community uh, for women or for anyone who's, again, trying to succeed in the industry. Industry, so networking, build your portfolio, and join community. Those are the top three things that I think will help you excel. And then from there, we like once you're in the door and you figure things out, it kind of gets a little bit easier from there.
0: I, I love that advice, and I I can't tell you how important it is to network. Right, just yeah. build a broad network. To st- I I say don't fish in your own pool. St- start fishing elsewhere. Yeah. Build a really broad network of people that have different experiences than you, that have different connections than you, um, and, you know, you will find opportunities, right? And don't be afraid to ask. Don't be, and also on mentoring, don't be afraid to ask for a mentor, right? Don't be afraid to ask somebody, will you mentor me? Well, Dominique, it's been wonderful talking to you today. I want to thank you for uh, making the time to join me. I know you're really busy with your day job and your studies and also with your own podcast. So thank you for making the time to join us on Afternoon Cyber Tea.
1: Thank you so much, Anne. I'm so glad to be here with you.
0: I'd also like to thank our audience for listening and join us next time on Afternoon Cyber Tea. I met Dominique through the share the mic and cyber process um, that's run by Camille Stewart and Lauren Zabrick. And I was so impressed with Dominique as a you know, as a professional who's just totally dedicated to her craft, right? She's dedicated to getting her CISSP, getting her master's in cybersecurity. She has her own podcasts also, and she's really invested in making sure that we improve the diversity in cybersecurity and open up opportunities for others. And, you know, she and I talked a little bit about how we, you know, you want to lower the ladder behind you to let others climb up it. And she's just this amazing talent that I know is going to have a brilliant career even above and beyond what she's done already which is pretty which is pretty exceptional
1: This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence podcast join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder Andreas Freund and senior security researcher Thomas Rochia. be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.